All right, we're going to continue our uh, continue our series today as we're looking at um, we are the church, and and obviously this is a little bit of a spin on what we've been talking about for nearly two years in church now. The idea that we need to be the church that we are called to be salt and to be light. And we kind of figure that we've been talking about it for so long now that it's time for us to actually switch the way we're talking about it. And instead of being the church, realize that if we are being salt and light, then we already are the church. We are the church in the world that we live in. I've already talked about salt being a preservative. So we're looking at the characteristics of salt at the moment. For these these couple of weeks, we've looked at the fact that it's a preservative last week just preached on how salt makes us thirsty and are we making people thirsty for Jesus in our life. And this week we're going to have a look at salt and the thought that it adds flavour. Who loves to uh, douse anything on the meal table in a large quantity of salt? Who likes a few chips with their salt? Yeah, well we're talking to the right people. Matthew 5 Jesus said after he just went through the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount, he said in verse 13, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. So today we're going to look at how we can remain salty, how we can remain people who add flavor to whatever world that we exist in, not the world, but the world that you exist in, the places where you walk every week, the schools, workplaces, families, sporting clubs, chess clubs, punch and high clubs, whatever it might be that you are in every single week, that's your world. And our call is to be the church or realize that we are the church in that world. And so we're going to look at today how being salty can add flavor to those worlds. And we're going to have a look at the life of Joseph from the Old Testament. Now, this is a man who, who experienced a lot in life. He got sold by his brothers into slavery. He, uh, he got falsely accused and imprisoned. He, he rose high and then had it all lost and taken away. He spent years in prison for things that he did not do. And I think if there's any great example that we can look at this morning of a life that still managed to add the flavor of God and the flavor of Christ in any situation, it was Joseph. And the good news for us is I don't know any or I hope none of us in this room have ever been sold into slavery by our brothers or falsely imprisoned and and spent years being ill-treated. But yet we can still, if he faced that and remained salty in his world, added flavor to the people that we'll we'll read about, all the things that he did, then surely we can still do it in the world that we live today with the help of his example and, of course, Christ. So we're going to pick out Joseph's story in Genesis 39, and there's a little bit of reading to do. Before this, Joseph had just been sold into slavery by his brothers. They, They didn't like him. And uh, and in some ways, I had a good reason to, because in, in the time between chapter 37 and 39 of Genesis, Joseph has gained a little bit of maturity. And uh, we, we pick it up that he's been, he's been purchased as a slave in Egypt at the beginning of 39. It says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, 
bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Let's remember, this is a foreign slave, not a servant, not an employee, a slave that has been purchased by Potiphar. And very quickly, because of his character, because of the saltiness that he adds to the world that he's in, he's quickly being promoted, even as a slave. Verse 5, from the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. What an interesting little side point there. That he is a man of such high godly character who was being the church, being a shining example of God and of high character and integrity in this place. And it wasn't just his life that prospered, but the life of, the, of Potiphar. The place where he was, the world that he was in, benefited from the fact that Joseph was in it, even though Potiphar was not a man who followed God. So verse 6, So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. Probably served in youth ministry. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come and spend some time with me. But he refused. There might still be kids here, come on. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house except he, everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to um, go and watch Netflix with her or even be with her. Verse 11, now one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She called him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. The first no, uh, recorded run of no clothing. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to make me, came, brought us, came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So here's Joseph on this incredible kind of, roller coaster journey of life, finds himself 
sold into slavery, becoming a slave to one of the highest men in Egypt and elevated to this incredible platform that really was not deserved of a foreign slave and shouldn't be treated the way that he was. Entrusted with everything except Potiphar's wife. And unfortunately, she was the only thing in the house that he was the only thing in the house that she wanted, which is an interesting predicament. But what I love about Joseph's life here, it was the fact that he kept focused on God, kept his character high, kept his integrity in place, didn't allow himself to compromise even a little bit in those situations where it says he entered the house and none of the other servants were there had every opportunity to get away with anything that he wanted, yet he still remained salty. Even when it resulted in him being falsely accused and imprisoned, he still remained that way. Now back to Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 5 when he's talking about us being salt in this world. We need to note right now that Jesus wasn't giving a science lesson here. He wasn't teaching a chemistry class or a science class or wherever they teach in school about salt, if they even teach about it. Because the truth is that salt cannot actually lose its flavor. You can't, salt just can't decide one day to not be salty anymore. It's, it would be a whole different chemical or element or, or something if it wasn't salt. But it can't just lose its flavor. But even though Jesus wasn't teaching a science lesson, he did know a lot about salt of that time. See, back in this time when he was talking about this, salt was actually mined from the Dead Sea, which you know is an extremely salty sea. And so they used to mine the salt from the edge of the Dead Sea, and that was the salt that was commonly used that Jesus would have been referring to. But it was so full of impurities and different things that it's very different to the salt that we would have these days that is so refined and so processed and so pure. And what would happen in Jesus' time when he was talking about this was the salt that they mined, obviously the, the, the containers and the way they sealed it was different. And if at any point moisture or any water got into the, the pile of salt, because the salt had been taken from the Dead Sea, it was so easily washed away. It was soluble. And what would happen is that the salt would actually disappear from the pile of salt that the household had and it would leave something that looked like salt, something that felt like salt, but it was not salt because the actual salt had been washed away. It had been dissolved. And that is a reference that Jesus is talking to. How can salt lose its flavor? Well, it can't but it can be washed away. It can be dissolved. And one of the things that can happen to us is we be people who are salt in the world, and Joseph is a shining example of someone who didn't let this happen, is we can allow little compromises, little things to wash away the pile of salt that's in our life. We can make little choices when no one's watching, when we think we're in a a a place in our life where we've earned the right to, where we want to chase something that isn't God, where we want to go down different paths, where we want to do all those kind of things that Joseph had the opportunity to do but didn't. It's little bits of salt being washed away or dissolved from our life. And the end result, if we allow ourselves to be watered down, 
if we allow ourselves to make small compromises and small decisions along the way, is we can end up being in a household, in a container that looks like salt, that feels like salt, that maybe once upon a time was used for salt, but doesn't taste like salt anymore, adds no flavor anymore because we allowed ourselves to be watered down. James 4 verse 17 says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Colossians 3 5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever brings to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Why? Because these things wash away and dissolve and water down the salt in our life, leaving us without flavor. The promise is in Matthew 6.33 where it says, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Joseph so easily could have seen the opportunity with his own decisions and his own willpower to even usurp Potiphar's position, to even find himself in a greater place of authority. But he knew thousands of years before Jesus ever said this promise, That if you seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, if we follow what God wants in our life, the way he wants us to live, the path that he would have for us, then all these things will be added to us. And we can continue to live a life that remains salty and not be watered down. But the result for poor Joseph, verse 20. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. And it's so easy to read these scriptures, particularly if you've grown up in church and just go, yeah, that's the story of Joseph. But to think about this guy, sold into slavery, falsely in prison, now in jail for something he didn't do, and yet still being shown kindness, still being given favour in the eyes of the prison warden. Verse 22, so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden got a good gig, didn't he? The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Chapter 40, sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men that were being held in prison had a dream on the same night and each dream had its own meaning. As the chapter goes on, we find that Joseph interprets the dream of both the baker and the cupbearer while he's in prison. And uh, as time goes on, those, those dreams come to pass. And unfortunately for the, for the baker, it means that uh, his life actually came to an end. And for the cupbearer, he was restored to his place beside the king, beside the pharaoh, back to his job. And some time had passed and what I love about this is Joseph still remained salty. He had every right in the prison for every reason that he shouldn't be there to, to be a man who was bitter, who was horrible, 
who wanted to sit in his cell and just count the years as they went past. But he still found favour and he was still somebody who added flavour to, that, to the, the prison that he was in and, and, and even to the point of impacting and influencing the lives that were around him. Back to Matthew 5 and, and uh, what Jesus taught us from there. Let's remember again that it's not a science lesson. It's a life lesson that he's teaching us there because in all the research that I've done over the last couple of weeks, um, I found that, that well, I couldn't find anything that said that salt actually adds flavor to whatever it's applied to. When you, when you sprinkle half a kilo of salt on your hot chips, it actually does nothing to change the flavor of the chips. When your cooking is a little bit bland and you decide to spruce it up with a sprinkle of salt, it does nothing to actually change the flavor of the food as it sits on your table. But what salt actually affects is our taste receptors. So whilst it doesn't change the flavor of the food, it changes the way that our tongue tastes the food as we're enjoying it. But what's really interesting is that the number one thing or one of the strongest things that salt actually does to our taste buds is it suppresses bitterness. Have you ever noticed that a lot of citrus fruits, if you are so inclined to enjoy a grapefruit for breakfast. I don't understand you, but what I do understand is that if you sprinkle a little bit of salt on it, it makes it a little bit more palatable. That's why so many citrus things we put salt with, because salt has uh, the ability to interrupt the receptors on our taste buds and suppress bitterness. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? That's a characteristic of salt, suppressing bitterness. And if we are the church and we are told and called and sent to be salt in our world, does our impact in the worlds that we live in, the people that you associate with and spend time with, are you somebody who suppresses bitterness or not? Because if we have lost our flavor, if we have lost our ability to be salt and be nothing more than something that can be thrown out on the path, which is the custom of the day, when salt did lose its flavor, it would be thrown out on the road and it would be walked over. Are we people who in the situations that we are in suppress bitterness in the world that we are in? Or have we lost our flavor and bitterness is still something that's there? Is our influence in the worlds that we live, the people that we talk with and spend time with, are we able to turn them from being bitter towards different things in this world or bitter towards God and actually suppress that in their life and add a different flavour to the world, to the food that they eat every single day? Ephesians 4 29 verse 32, the heading in my Bible says, Instructions for Christian Living. I think that sounds like something worth paying attention to when a passage of Scripture has a heading like that. But it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as God forgave you. Our call to be salty, to be salt to the world means that we should be people who suppress bitterness in every part of our life. That just like this passage says in Ephesians 4, people who bring life to the situation that we are in, who bring flavour to whatever other people are struggling with, rather than just being worthless salt that adds nothing and suppresses no bitterness in anyone's life. Joseph's a great example of this. I really believe a man who had every right to be bitter against his brothers, against Potiphar, against the guards, against Egypt, against the world. But not once did bitterness ever enter his life when you read his entire life. And that is because he remained salty. Chapter 41, a little bit further, when two full years had passed, another two years in prison, Pharaoh had a dream. Verse 8, in the morning his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, he really said, oops, because he was supposed to tell Pharaoh about him. That was the deal for getting out of prison. But two years later, today, I am reminded of my shortcomings, to put it politely. Pharaoh was once angry with me and he imprisoned me and the baker and you know what happened to the baker and here I am. And this man named Joseph interpreted our dream and things turned out in verse 13, things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position and the other man, well, he was impaled. So finally, the cupbearer remembered Joseph after a couple of years. Now, are you that person, or maybe you know that person, that when you are sitting at the dinner table, before the plate even touches the table, you or them, whether you're happy to admit it or not, are reaching for the salt jar. You know those people who, before they even taste the meal or before the chef has even admitted that it might be a little bit bland, they're sprinkling salt all over their food? Or I know that in here we would all be the polite people who would at least taste it first or or wait till the cook has said, look, it needs a little bit of salt, add a little bit of salt. But you know those people who the first thing that they do when food reaches their table is they reach out for the salt before they even get a chance to taste it. There's a little bit of O'Day eyes going to, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But if we are to be salt in people's lives, then the question for us today, the third question, is are we the first thing people reach for when they find themselves in a life that tastes a little bit bland? When their life needs a little bit more, when it hasn't turned out the way it should, 
when, when the pharaohs had a dream, when the cupbearers remembered something, when someone in your life is having a crisis or needs some support or needs some help, is our life so salty that the first thing that they think about is to reach for the phone or knock on the door or come and find us and get a little bit of salt for their bland life? Because if we are called to be salt, then in the worlds that we live in every single day of our life, We should be the people, as we are the church, that the world reaches for when life isn't as full of flavor as they hoped it to be. Proverbs 15.23 says, A person finds joy in giving an apt reply. And how good is a timely word, a fitting reply, an apt reply, some salt when it's needed needed most. How good is it? When we get the answer that we need in a quick way, but how much better is it when we can give somebody the answer in being salt in their life when they need it most, when life has turned out a little bit bland? I might get the the team to come up and join me on stage as we start down our first conclusion. But the life of Joseph is a great example one of the greatest examples, if, if, if we accept the call to be the church and realize that we are the church, when Jesus said to go and be salt, these three things that we, we read from Joseph's life, these three attributes about salt, I believe can be the, one of the greatest things that we can take from this message, to live a life that is not watered down, one that does not compromise no matter what we're faced with so that whenever it is required of us in our life, we will always be found to be salty. Living a life without bitterness, suppressing bitterness in the world that we're in, always being ready to give life, to give hope, to give an encouraging word, to walk into the morning tea room in the workplace tomorrow and not join in the gossip but simply because of our presence, not our preaching, not the fact that we walk in there with our Bible, but simply our presence in the room because we are so salty, suppresses the bitterness of others. Not because of the right words, but just because of who we are. And being the first thing that people reach for when life is a little bit too bland, when life hasn't ended up the way it should, when crisis is real, being so salty in our life, being so full of who God is and how Jesus wants us to be, that we would be the first thing that people reach for, knowing that they can find the answer in who we can tell them about. And that is how we be the church. I love Slim's testimony. Like, honestly, I didn't really feel like preaching after hearing that. <laughs> That's a much better job. Because what I love is it's a Romans 12 life. It's a life that says I'm going to allow my mind to be transformed by Christ. And then I'm going to live my everyday ordinary life, my sleeping, my eating, my breathing, my going to work. And I'm just going to be salt and I'm just going to be light. 
Like I love that Slim, and don't take this the wrong way, isn't sitting here in a suit and tie. I love that when he found Jesus, he didn't have to change who Slim was. His mind has been renewed. His heart has been changed, but he's still Slim. Because to his world, to his friends who need flavour, who need to reach for the salt jar every now and then, who need less bitterness in their life, they still want to call Slim. He's the best Jesus that his friends can ever see because he's Slim. And that's the greatest message that we can ever take from Jesus' teaching here. He said, go into the world and be salt and light. He didn't say be anything different than who you are. He said, just go and be me to your friends in your world. Go and be salt. Don't be watered down. Live a life that never compromises, that chases God, that believes that if you seek Him first, everything you adequately need to live your life will be given to you. Live a life that brings hope to people, not bitterness. And be the first thing that people reach for when life isn't what it meant to be. I want to finish today a little bit awkwardly. (laughs) So that's not unusual. But I just, I just had this really interesting slash awkward thought while I was in the, the prayer room this morning. And then um, unfortunately, Ian prayed for me and said, you know, God, God says, uh, you know, go with it, basically, is the message that I heard in, in words. But my daughter asked me the other night, she said, how do you, how do you get to sleep, Daddy? And this is just her trying to justify being able to stay up another five minutes by engaging me in conversation. And I said to her, well, well, I like to dream while I'm awake. So when I'm in bed and my thoughts are going a million miles per hour and I'm thinking about the things I've got to do tomorrow, thinking about the, the troubles or things that are weighing heavy, I start to dream the opposite, right? So... I love to fall asleep at night because Mel and I, we serve on the youth ministry team here. I often will fall asleep at night dreaming about the days yet to come for wildfire youth. So I'll think about the troubles now where it's like, wow, you know, we got a lot of kids coming and we, we could really do go with some more connect group leaders and to disciple them. That's not a plug. I'm being serious here. And I think about that trouble. So I start to dream about the opposite. I start to think about what it will be like when we measure in the hundreds, not the tens or the dozens. I start to think about what, it, what it's going to be like when one location can't contain us, when our greatest trouble is a building to fit us in. And I was telling her, I dream about things that build my faith that make me wake up in the morning feeling saltier and more full of light to go about my world. And so as awkward as it might feel, I want us to do that right now. As we sing at the end, instead of the the preacher giving the prayer at the end to encourage us all, I want us to all have our own prayer in our seats, whether we want to stand, whether we want to sit. But I want us to dream while we are awake this morning. Think about the world that we are in. Workplaces, family, community, neighborhoods, clubs, whatever. People that you spend your time with that need Jesus and need you to be salty. And don't think about what you don't have. Don't think about 
what's too hard to do. Don't think about the challenge, the awkwardness, the embarrassment, the, the stepping out of the boat. Think about what it will be like when all those things have been overcome and we've got to that point. Think about what it will be like when your friend's marriage is restored. Think about what it will be like when you see your family members in this church with their hands lifted high. Think about what it will be like and let that be our prayer this morning. Let that be the thing that charges up our faith. I want to encourage us this morning as we go and be the church or realize that we are the church that let's not wait and sit in our seats for the revival of a thousand. Let's realize that revival starts with one person. You fill a pool one bucket at a time. Not hundreds of people streaming through the door, but the people that you are about to think about and lift your faith and expectation for, that is how revival starts. Challenge the person in the mirror every morning that they are the move of God that you're waiting for. We're not waiting for the next great preacher to come through or the next something to happen. The person that you brush your teeth with every morning that stares back at you, they are the move of God that your friends and your family are waiting for. They are the move of God that your workplace needs. That's why you've been positioned and purposed for that place. And don't wait to be perfect. God uses broken vessels. If we wait till we are perfect, it's going to be really hard to find someone who needs Jesus in heaven. That's the only place we will ever reach perfection. But now is the time for us to be the church. What are we waiting for? Let's start filling the pool one bucket at a time, one young person at a time, one old person. Who cares? They're all people who need Jesus. And they're all people who will find Him by how salty we are. So as the band worships this morning and we sing whatever's on Beck's heart, can we stand perhaps as we worship, but dream while we are awake, fill our life with faith and expectation for what will be, not what could be. Turn our challenges into faith this morning as we sing and as we worship.